I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take D.C. on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Jesse Hempel, host of the Hello Monday podcast. In my 20s, I knew what career success looked like. In midlife, it's not that simple. Work is changing, we are changing, and there's no guidebook for how to make sense of it. Start your week with the Hello Monday podcast. Listen to Hello Monday on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. On this episode of Newt's World, Mark Zuckerberg, the CEO of Meta, Facebook's parent company, announced this week that he would be laying off 11,000 employees due to advertising revenue plummeting on the social network. Elon Musk announced that he'll be laying off a third of Twitter employees this week in his new role as CEO of Twitter in an effort to try to restructure the organization. So what is the future of Meta, Facebook, and Twitter and other big tech companies? Here to help us understand what's happening I'm really pleased to welcome back my guest, Jessica Malugin. She is the director of the Center for Technology and Innovation at the Competitive Enterprise Institute. Jessica, welcome back, and thank you for joining me again on Newt's World. It's been a busy week in tech news, and you have more insights than anybody I know. It's my pleasure to be here. I'm excited to talk all things tech with you. Meta, Mark Zuckerberg's company, announced that it is laying off 13% of its staff, or more than 11,000 employees. And I'm told that they waited until the election to do that, and that Biden actually had been actively calling a variety of these big companies and saying, please don't lay them off before the election. Why did they decide to lay off this many people at one time? Well, you know, I think Part of this story is the story of a lot of businesses right now. The economy is not good to uncertain at the very best. And I think you're going to start to see hiring freezes and downsizing all over the place while things continue like this. But specifically for Mark Zuckerberg, the explanation he gave, of course, is that during COVID lockdowns, we all went online and it was a real 
boom on his platform. And he invested and spent and hired like you do when there's a boom. And he believed that this would be sustained afterwards, that this was not a temporary shift to online. This was a societal shift that would linger even after the immediate COVID concerns had passed. And, you know, he said as much that that hasn't proven to be the case. And of course, the big thing here is that between 2019 and 2022, he spent $36 billion investing R&D in virtual reality, which at Meta means the metaverse, just $15 billion this past year. So that is a huge amount of money and a big, big gamble. And whether that gamble pays off eventually, we don't know, but it certainly isn't paying off immediately. And in the macroeconomic environment, he made the decision that he needs to cut some discretionary spending. And that, unfortunately, for the people who work there, means that they've been laid off. I want to show my naivete here for a minute. What is the metaverse? You not knowing exactly means you are at the heart of all forward thinking for the metaverse because nobody knows. I think that what Zuckerberg has done is put a lot of money into gambling on being someone who helps answer that question. What will it be? So what's touted for it to be is perhaps really great things like remote surgeries and remote learning and meetings where you're in a virtual room with your coworkers instead of sitting on, in my case, 66, getting into the office doing it. And there's a lot of potential in that, but there's a lot of risk in that because to the point of your question, nobody knows exactly what that will be. To what extent do we want those virtual spaces? We're all going to have to decide that, you know, what's better and more convenient and one more tool in the toolbox of how we learn and work and live and what's creepy and weird and a pain and confusing. <laughs> We're going to have to sort all that out. Wasn't there, a, or it may still be there, but it wasn't there a system called Second Life? Right. There's been these inroads into that, and that might fall a little bit more on the creepy side of things. I think there's practical applications and efficiencies in all of the future of this technology. But I think there's probably things that people will say, no, I want to sit in the same room with real life human beings, and I don't want to do that. You know, what I hope being an optimist about technology and innovation is that this just becomes a set of more options for people. Depending on your circumstance and your situation that day, this is one more way to go about doing things. This isn't a replacement for real things happening in the brick and mortar real world of fleshy human beings, but this is a substitute when that can't be achieved or when it's easier to do it this way. But you know, obviously, Mark Zuckerberg wants to shape those options, at least the immediate ones, and he's willing to spend, you know, $36 billion doing it. And in some sense, that's what we want from entrepreneurs. We want them to put their money where their mouth is. I'm not too proud to be grateful that this is private money and not taxpayer money being gambled with. And we'll see. You know, I suspect that some really cool stuff will come out of this and some stuff that we'll laugh about and cringe will come out of it, too. And I hope that the market sorts that out by everyone getting to decide what they're in for and what they'd rather not participate in. I was in Second Life years ago. I had a character in Second Life. And we played with it. And at the time, IBM actually had opened up a laboratory. That's why I'm curious why the metaverse is a big deal, except that we have another 15 or 20 years of technology. But, you know, we played with it. We looked at it. IBM claimed that it allowed their people to work across places. And I know that there are 
some experiments by different companies where, for example, the imagery is so extraordinary, you can't tell who's actually in your room and who is in your room virtually. I think the Oculus jump into all of this was obviously the big marker for Meta, right? The purchase of Oculus was a definite new direction and a commitment to really going all in. But I think you're right in the sense that it's not that it's completely new, uncharted territory. I was out there, I can't remember now which year it was, but I was out after they'd acquired Oculus. And, you know, I put on the headset and had a Tyrannosaurus Rex in the room with me. And I will say the most amazing thing was they put me on the top of like a 70-story building, and you literally felt like you could fall off. I mean, so the vividness was powerful, but it struck me as being more like the computer games that kids play. Yeah, well, that's exactly right. I think that you're right on both counts because the realness of it, right, if being placed on top of that building can inspire real feelings of vertigo in you, there's something there. I mean, that's impressive in some sense. But whether this turns out to be for games or for life, we'll have to see. I have an Oculus and I'm privy to try a lot of these things. And they're incredibly impressive being the individualist that I am, don't love meetings in any form. But I will tell you that I can certainly see the merits of having a virtual meeting feel more and more like there are people in the room. And they do a good job of that. I think there will be business applications for it. I think the potential really for me is the virtual learning. I mean, the things that you can learn in these ways, I think that's such great news. I mean, I would love to see more information be available to more people who might not have geographical access to it in a way that feels more like you're in a room with someone who's teaching you rather than reading it off the internet. I think that that's all very hopeful. And I think the Oculus or whatever comes next and replaces the Oculus, right? Because that's how technology works. It's incremental. And there are these lurches forward and maybe Mark Zuckerberg's money won't earn Meta its investment back, but maybe there will be lurches in there forward in terms of progress for this technology. There's nothing new under the sun. This isn't any different. And we looked back at, you know, the Nokia phone not too many years ago and said, well, I mean, this is it, right? Like the, no one's going to catch Nokia out there on the edge of technology. And now, of course, that's ridiculous because of what we all carry around in our pockets now. I don't think this is going to be different, right? This is just sort of the chaos that happens at that economic frontier. But isn't it also sort of a commentary that here's a guy who, as a very, very young entrepreneur, figured out the right formula for a particular thing that became universally popular almost worldwide, and his cash flow is so enormous that he must have sat around and said, if I'm going to have this much cash flow, what could I do that's the next revolution comparable to what Facebook was at the time he first launched it. And I think that's kind of, in his mind, I suspect he's not sure where he's going either, but he can afford to spend billions seeing whether or not the experiment works. Yeah, I completely agree. I mean, this kid stumbled onto something that I remember sitting in my college dorm room looking at the lookbook too much, being too interested in that. I just didn't have the brains to say, how can I make this electronic and become one of the world's wealthiest people? So full credit to him. And also impressively, whatever you think of his politics, he was a college kid 
who was able to scale that little discovery of something real and interesting and pretty universal about human beings into one of the world's most successful companies. But I would also humbly suggest that if even that person is sitting in a room thinking about how he's going to have to spend $36 billion to stay out front, what that suggests to me is that we probably should stop calling Facebook a monopoly. Add that to the list of things that monopolists don't do. They don't spend $36 billion in two years on research and development. Because if you've got it locked down and you don't have to worry about competition and there's barrier to entries, you don't need to spend that money. You can enjoy that cash. And that's not what we see here. So I think the broader policy picture is that the market is at work. I mean, this guy's worried about TikTok. And there's other reasons we might also be worried about TikTok. But from a competitive standpoint, that's a much more popular application in the U.S. now than Facebook. Facebook's growing globally, but in the U.S., its usership is not growing. It might have already peaked here. And perhaps part of that motivation for him to invest in something new and gamble on what the next big thing is, is that he wants to be out in front of the next big thing too. I would imagine if you've led your entire adult life (laughs) being a trailblazer, it would be hard to see that sort of fade into the sunset. Maybe that's what's happening. But whether it does or whether it doesn't, whether he's right or he's wrong, I am heartened to see that the competitive forces are still at work in the market and whether it's the metaverse or it's something we haven't thought of yet, things are changing and things are improving. And that's what American consumers want. They want the next big thing. We're already spoiled by the current big thing. We're already taking that for granted. It is interesting to watch. I mean, TikTok is a parallel but very different system. It has its own particular set of appeals and something will presently come along to challenge TikTok. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleh Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. 
In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. One of the great serial entrepreneurs is Elon Musk, who's very different from Zuckerberg in a lot of different ways, from PayPal to Tesla to SpaceX, to the battery company, to you name it. He has this extraordinary capacity to figure out the basics and get profound breakthroughs. I remember years ago when Tesla was really just starting, they had figured out they could just buy commercial batteries in huge numbers, put them all together. And at one time they were having it done in Thailand, and they figured out they could actually do it cheaper in San Jose, California. It was a simple insight, but it allowed them to undercut all the major auto companies who were involved in engineering very sophisticated approaches. And then he turned and he figured out you could build rockets on their side. He's the first person ever to build a horizontal rocket rather than a vertical rocket. And something which Bob Walker and I had pioneered in trying to get NASA 10 years earlier to build a reusable rocket. They got $400 million and couldn't do it. And he comes along and he builds a reusable rocket. He now has a Henry Ford-style mass production of rockets in a way nobody's ever dreamed of. So then he turns around, and instead of focusing on improving Tesla or finally fixing the rocket that's going to take us to the moon, which will probably fly for the first time next month or so, pivots and says, oh, Twitter is a really potentially great acquisition. Both politically is fun, and I think I can figure out a way to make it much more profitable. So then he buys Twitter. I mean, how do you account for all this? Well, I mean, this is why we're so fascinated by Elon. And I think perhaps Zuckerberg has some aspirations in this area too, right? It's one thing and very impressive to do it once. But Elon, in some sense, is in a different league because just as you were saying, he does it over and over and over again. It doesn't mean that there's not failures and mistakes along the way. He's refreshingly the first person to admit that. But he does seem to have a real gift for a certain amount of 
looking forward in an intelligent way, but also a very practical, scrappy side that seems to merge these great big ideas that seem very theoretical and and sort of far-fetched to most of us. But he makes it happen, right? I mean, he makes electric cars cool, and he's going to probably put us on the moon. And all I can say about Elon Musk and Twitter is that if anyone can figure it out, he would be on my list of people to give it a shot. You know, I don't know what's going to happen there. This is like what feeds him, these challenges. And we all benefit from people like that, right? We all need people who are at the forefront pushing it because that all filters down to us eventually, every single one of us. And thank God for Elon Musk, because I sure as heck couldn't have figured out how to make that rocket on its side. But I think tying it back to the Zuckerberg thing, again, like I think that that's part of the thing. Once you're on that ride of success, you don't want to get off. You want to keep finding the next new thing. And I agree with you that Twitter is a bold choice. <laughs> but again, if anyone can figure it out. Twitter has sort of two parallel stories, though. One is the whole political infighting over canceling people, including the president of the United States and the fourth largest newspaper and oldest newspaper in the United States. But in addition, there's a commercial side. And it seems to me that Twitter has never come anywhere close to matching its potential. Yeah, I think we're unpacking the details of that right now. As influential as Twitter is and as much time as we all spend musing about it and making fun of it and fretting about it, it's a very niche thing compared to big, broad social media platforms like Facebook, where everyone from your grandmother to businesses to community groups to major corporations advertising, everyone's on Facebook. But Twitter's a much more narrow band And I think that there are potential opportunities to make that successful. But Twitter's problem is that it's a niche thing that operates in a bigger political conversation. Those things are kind of disparate. Twitter's a business. But most of the people who are on Twitter and active on Twitter, I don't think that they would tell you or necessarily immediately agree that what is Twitter's main purpose. I mean, now it's a private company, so it's a little different. But when it was publicly owned, its purpose was to return a profit to shareholders. That's what businesses do. And Twitter got bogged down in being about this sort of theoretical idea of free speech and all these other ideals that didn't really allow that space to make money, right? It's never been profitable. And Elon, who I do believe is sincerely interested in moving towards a more inclusive content approach on Twitter, more ideas, different ideas, and letting as much speech stay up as he can, is going to have to balance that with the natural tension of corporate advertisers not wanting their ad popping up next to some things that might not even make that company feel uncomfortable, but they're very aware that there's a well-funded world of activists out there who are ready to pounce on any company that doesn't bend to their will. And I think that that's a real financial threat to those companies. So therefore, that becomes a tension for Elon at Twitter, is that he's presented these dual goals of we want to make this thing profitable and successful. And we also want to open it up to more and different content. And I think what has to happen is perhaps a more bottom-up approach and that we all need to become more tolerant of other people's opinions that we don't agree with. And that's a real issue these days, right? That I can't even be around that or I'm 
somehow harmed or triggered. That is not a mark of a free society, right? That's not, shouldn't be our default reaction when someone says something we disagree with. That's not how we've been operating for a long time, but it certainly seems to be how a lot of America reacts to things now. And people who make money off advertising have to deal with that reality in the public. And we're going to see how Elon tackles that. He is supposedly the richest man in the world, worth something like $200 billion, however one figures these things out. But he didn't put up $44 billion. I mean, he went out and got a whole bunch of investors. That's probably why he's still one of the wealthiest people in the world, right? Like, don't have a boat, have a friend with a boat. But on steroids, if you're a billionaire, I would say it's the same principle, maybe. And he got a group of very prestigious investors, oddly enough, including the former CEO of Twitter. But he also got the Saudis in. I think he got somebody from Gutter to come in. And then he got the usual guys out in Silicon Valley some of whom probably figured, look, I've made so much money off of Elon, why not take another flyer and see if this one works too? So he has the cash to actually survive in pulling this thing together. And a mutual friend was pointing out to me that they came very close to having to close Tesla, and they came very close to having to close SpaceX. And each time he had to just stop, focus, work his way through it. And apparently he pulled in more than 50 Tesla engineers to work at Twitter and brought in his own team, fired the senior staff. But as I understand it, when he went through a pretty massive layoff of 10% of the employees, about 7,500 people, he then found out that some of them they had to bring back because, in fact, there were certain specialized areas where nobody from Tesla was going to be able to figure it out. His style is, I think, willfully chaotic and just keep churning until you break through. How do you measure, because you watch all this, you know this a hundred times better than I do. How do you measure the first cycle here of Elon Musk at Twitter? Well, I mean, he's jumping in the deep end, right? And you know better than anyone. I mean, in some sense, with all the firings, I thought to myself, well, staff is policy, right? He's clearing it out and he's going to put in people that he trusts, people that he respects. And some of that's going to have overlap from Tesla. And some of it is going to be more specialized in these areas. But Having Jack Dorsey there, someone who ran Twitter for many years and I think has similar and sincere interests in expanding the scope of speech on the platform makes sense to me. Listen, there's plenty of models for how you make it profitable. But again, he's trying to do that in a way that also expands speech. And that's the tension there. I think that there probably was some house cleaning to do. Twitter has never been known for being particularly a <laughs> tight ship, you know, there probably was some cleanup to do. And we'll see if he went too far a little bit. Maybe he has because he's brought people back. This is not new to him. I mean, he loves to run this up against the edge. He was sleeping in the Tesla factory while he was focusing on it. He's done a great job. Content moderation is really hard at scale, right? Because one person's satire is the other person's trigger. And the speech stuff is very hard to quantify. And we know that because as Americans, we try, we, what we've said is we kind of keep our hands off of it because it's such a subjective thing. But the nuts and bolts of a platform is that this is an advertising business and he's going to have to get his hands dirty making some of those tough calls. And he's in a really difficult regulatory environment because the left and the right is mad at these platforms for different reasons, but everybody can agree they're unhappy. And 
the legislation that exists right now to deal with them is a mess. And back to the meta point, all the big antitrust legislation has a floor on it that says this means you if your market cap is at $550 billion or more. Well, that works great until you've gone around kind of bashing Meta and bashing Zuckerberg and then, oh, oops, you know, their market cap is half of that right now, right? The market's sort of taking care of that. And now they don't even qualify to be regulated in this way. So Elon and Mark Zuckerberg have real challenges with the macro economy. They have real threats from Washington and state governments too, actually. And they have a hard job to do, right? And they're going to make mistakes and then they're going to have successes. And again, this is the genius of the system of capitalism, right? Because when they make mistakes, it doesn't cost me anything. And when they have successes, I get a cool new thing. So to me, the ups and downs of it are fun to watch because it's fun to watch human beings innovate and succeed. But the big picture here is that things are moving generally forward. Doesn't mean there's not problems. It doesn't mean we don't have very legitimate complaints. But we're making progress and things are getting better here. And that's great news. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best informed business reporters around the world. Western nations like the U.S. and Europe. Mexico will likely have its first female president. And then you have China. And help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters. He'll get his yo-yos to Europe in time. But the longer this drags on, the more worry he's getting. They knew that they needed to do this as fast as they possibly could to get a drug on the market as fast as they could. I'm David Gura. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. We cover the stories behind what's moving money and markets. Basically, everyone was expecting, if not a calamity, certainly a recession. But the problem is that that paperwork, as our reporting showed, is fake. As someone who's covering the market, I'm often very worried about an imminent collapse. So I'm thinking about it quite often. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Saleya Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take DC. We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. It's an election year, so there's a lot of focus on the voters that TikTok is reaching. The initial reaction is like, oh, things are looking so resilient. I don't want to be too pessimistic, but I just don't see the political will down in Washington right now to to change their tune. I think the American electorate has been signaling that it expects a rematch of the 2020 election. These are unprecedented times. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Everyday Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. You can build internal resources. That's what the study of psychology is about, building internal resources. Turning towards is one of the most important elements of successful relationships, no matter what kind of relationship it is. The thing that underpins all of this productivity stuff is finding a way to make the journey itself enjoyable. The journey is the destination. The beauty of uncertainty is infinite possibility. When you don't know what's next, you don't know what's next. And thus, anything can be next. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's fascinating to watch the evolution that's underway. Yeah, it's fascinating to watch the emotional reaction to this Twitter thing. You know, there are people who happily and successfully live their lives without Twitter. They seem to be able to go on. But the people who really have made it a part of their identity or a part of their career are very invested in it continuing and have very strong opinions about what should change and what shouldn't. And that's been sort of fascinating for those of us. I use it as a work tool, but I would be able to go on without it. I'm happy it exists, but it's not who I am. But to see some of the reactions to just Elon discussing these changes, right? Just kind of floating them has been much more emotionally charged than I would have expected. One other thing about Elon, which is he apparently successfully moved his communication satellites over Ukraine in a way which turned out to be extraordinarily helpful. I mean, it's almost like he's the equivalent of one of the NATO countries in uh, having provided them almost instantaneously with a dramatic breakthrough in communications. I mean, don't you find that an extraordinary level of capability? I sure do. I sure do. And I find it to be more extraordinary that it came from a private actor in society than a government action, which is Remarkable. I mean, it's remarkable what he's able to do. And obviously, he has access to an enormous amount of capital. But there is a brilliance in him, too, that has facilitated that. Listen, I expect eventually, if he does more of those things, we'll just see him wearing some sort of superhero costume around, I guess, probably. One other area of current evolution. What is the impact of Elon Musk taking over Twitter on Truth Social? One thing I like to say always at the top of these conversations is, obviously, these social media platforms work because there's a critical mass of people there. And there's the people you want to hear from, or maybe you don't want to hear from, but secretly, it's thrilling. But that being said, you know, if I were former President Donald Trump, I would seriously consider being on more than one platform. I mean, there's no great cost at saying, I'm going to be on Truth Social, and I'm going to be on Twitter. And I think that the analogy I use is always sort of cable news channels. You can certainly decide to watch only MSNBC or only Fox News, but you can also flip back and forth and check out what the other side's saying and sort it all out. And I think that Elon taking over Twitter and the rise of True Social are both really positive signs for space in this market for something different, right? Because if this many people are really fed up with the content moderation policies of old Twitter or current Facebook, 
you know, or fill in your platform, YouTube, that immediately means that there's an opportunity for something new and different to come along and provide an alternative. And I think that's ultimately the answer. This stuff moves so fast that I just don't think regulating and regulating tolerance and regulating, that's a really tall order. I don't want people to just be in their own echo chamber. I don't think that's healthy. That being said, I think the average social media users are on six different platforms. That includes LinkedIn and a lot of other things. But I think that's probably the healthy way because, you know, the answer to CNN when it was the only one wasn't the fairness doctrine. The answer to CNN was Fox News. So for me, like, let's go. Let's let Elon jump in. True social. Let's go. Like, let's let all these guys fight it out for eyeballs. I'm all for it. Are there any other developments in big tech that you're watching that you think will be sort of the next big surprise? I think there's going to be more user-friendly moves into new social media platforms that are decentralized, meaning that there's not a top-down content moderation, meaning the little club you join agrees on a group of rules. And I think if you look at how people live, that's a much more organic and natural approach, right? Like sometimes when I'm walking the city streets, I have to kind of be with everyone. I don't get to pick. But when I pick my church or my social groups, I do sort myself into groups that maybe challenge me, but probably more likely agree with me and that I find easy. And I think that probably will start to be reflected a little bit more on social media. And I think part of that's the true social and the Elon, but part of that is a decentralized approach where it just gets a little bit easier to sort yourself into those groups. And maybe you're just not seeing things that offend you to such a degree that you call your congressman and say, I can't believe you're letting this be up here. Or alternatively, I can't believe they're not letting this be up here. I think we can work this out, right? We've worked this out in real life where we pick where we live and where we worship and where we go to school more and more, I hope. My hope is that that happens too in the virtual world. And even in the metaverse, you know, the metaverse isn't going to be the only virtual reality. So we're going to have to make those same trade-offs and be respectful, but (laughs) good fences make good neighbors, even in cyberspace, I think. You have a fascinating area that you pay attention to. You're obviously deeply engaged in it. And I hope that you'll join us again over time as things keep evolving, because I find it always fascinating just to listen to you and get your insights because you understand it so much better than I do. I can't imagine that's true, but it's such a pleasure to talk with you about it. And I would do it anytime, any day. Thank you to my guest, Jessica Malugin. You can learn more about the big tech layoffs on our show page at newtsworld.com. Newtsworld is produced by Gingrich 360 and iHeartMedia. Our executive producer is Garnsey Sloan. Our producer is Rebecca Howell, and our researcher is Rachel Peterson. The artwork for the show was created by Steve Penley. Special thanks to the team at Gingrich 360. If you've been enjoying Newt's World, I hope you'll go to Apple Podcasts and both rate us with five stars and give us a review so others can learn what it's all about. Right now, listeners of Newt's World can sign up for my three free weekly columns at Gingrich360.com slash newsletter. I'm Newt Gingrich. This is Newt's World.
Grand Canyon University's RN to BSN online degree program makes earning your bachelor's in nursing possible. Balance online coursework with local in-person clinicals to position yourself for potential leadership opportunities in the time you have from wherever you are. Leaving room for what matters. Achieve your goals with your personalized plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. I'm Saleha Mosin, and I've covered economic policy for years and reported on how it impacts people across the United States. In 2016, I saw how voters were leaning towards Trump and how so many Americans felt misunderstood by Washington. So I started The Big Take D.C., We dig into how money, politics, and power shape government and the consequences for voters. With new episodes every Thursday, you can listen to The Big Take DC on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Big Take from Bloomberg News brings you what's shaping the world's economies with the smartest and best-informed business reporters around the world. We cover the stories behind what's moving money in markets and help you understand what's happening, what it means, and why it matters every afternoon. I'm Sarah Holder. I'm Saleya Mosin. And I'm David Gura. Listen to The Big Take on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. From LinkedIn News, I'm Leah Smart, host of Every Day Better, an award-winning weekly podcast dedicated to personal development. Whether you're looking for ways to shift your mindset or seeking more fulfillment in your life, we've got you covered. Join me as we dive into captivating stories and research-backed ideas that have empowered me and others to lead lives with more clarity and intention. Everyday Better, making growth an everyday practice. Listen to Everyday Better on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.